You're listening to Be Love Radio. Your host, Cadet. Your host, Cadet. It is pure and true. Say it. This is my message to you. Welcome to Be Love Radio, everyone. I'm your host, Cadet. And on today's show, we have Tambra Hark, who will be talking to us about the emergent woman. Before we get started with the show and um, hear from Tambra, I just want to take a moment to invite you to get centered, to let go of everything that came before this moment for for you, to let go of all the thoughts you were involved in before this instant right here, and to allow yourself to really just be here so that you can share in and receive all that there is to receive for you in this conversation, in this sharing with Tambra. And Tambra, as listeners are taking a couple of deep breaths to get centered and to get present, I would love to welcome you to the show for the first time. Hi, Tambra. Hello, hello. I'm so happy to be here. Mm, So happy to have you. So for listeners who may not be familiar with the Emergent Women or or you and your work, why don't we start by um, having you share a little bit about yourself and then we'll move into what the Emergent Women is all about. Sure. A little bit about myself. You know, it's one of those questions, <laughs> you know, when you're 51 years old, you've lived enough life, you're like, which little bit do you tell? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think the thing that I would love to say today is that I have been on a journey since I was very young. I've been a very curious um, and um, engaging in different spiritual practices and um, in applications since I was a a really young age, and then at the same time, a normal person, you know, like with all my hurts and wants and yearnings and dissatisfactions, and the the, the core of it, I think, was really set early on, and what I've come to know is that I'm a gift of love, Mm. and I can say that to you today in a way that I know, that I've always known to be true in my soul, but for probably the first 25 certainly the first 25 to 40 years of my life, I believed I was fundamentally unlovable. And and that's just how it is for all of us, you know? Yeah. Whatever that <laughs> true gift is, whatever you're like, your most exquisite gift, that's also the place where your most excruciating wound is. It's just mm-hmm. the exquisiteness of it. And... Um, I love that to be able to say to you and to our listeners and to a group I spoke to yesterday, I'm a gift of love. <laughs> and at the same time, I, when I was born in 1960, a very shameful event around my life was that I was born as a bastard child. <laughs> and that's not the kind of thing you talk about, but I always knew it. And the wounding is perfect to bring the gifts fully on. And that really kind of sums up who I am. And I think our, I, I continue to find whatever my own wounds are and say, wow, there must be some really spectacular gift in here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, let's unfold it and and, uh, and live in the beauty of it. Well, what a gift that itself is. I mean, to, to have come to a, a place in your life where where you can openly and unreservedly declare I am a gift of love. Like that that is such a gifted place to be itself. 
so mm-hmm. I I'm so grateful you started with that. Thank you. You're welcome. Mm. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I mean you you just spoke a little about, you know, unfolding your own wounds and 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 recognizing the gift in them. Is that how your work with emergent women came about? How did how did the emergent women and the work that you do through that movement come about? How did it come into being for you? Yeah, I discovered that I um I discovered what I now call the the journey of the emergent woman. Um when I was going through, uh, when we get into talking about the five stages, when I was going through the second stage, which feels like your world is crumbling around you. And um, in my natural desire to find a way to cope, um, I discovered this um, ancient poem that dates back to 3500 B.C. So what I love about that is that so long ago, that's so many thousands of years ago, that it takes it out of our current everyday idea about, you know, the, this is a woman's trend because, you know, because of the last 50 years, the last 100 years. Like, no, right. this is an ancient spiritual <laughs> journey. <laughs> uh. You know, when you think about how long ago, 3500 B.C., that's over 5,000 years ago. <laughs> and there was something in learning this poem and I don't have it memorized, and, and I don't know if I've ever read the, the whole thing, but I studied the meaning of the poem, and I studied the transitions that this um, character, the heroine of the poem, goes through. And in the studying of that, I realized that, I, first of all, I was not alone, which is really fantastic to discover, mm-hmm. um, when you feel like you're losing your mind and nothing's working and you can't, nothing that worked before makes any difference today and you know I was just in that kind of like but nothing's working kind of way in myself um, and there was something that settled me a little bit in just knowing that not only was I not alone but this was an ancient path of trans- uh, of, of um, not just transformation but of evolution a personal of the evolution Specifically for women or, or just... You know, I find women. that it really is... Hmm. There are men who live this journey, but the way that we're that I'm seeing it and I'm seeing more women go through it today and identify with this message today than even 10 years ago. When I was trying to talk to people about this 10 years ago, I could only talk to like one person, you know, like mm-hmm. one who was in the middle of it. And now I can talk to, you know, a room full of people, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there are men that understand it or hear it or resonate with it, but the way that it's aware that it's coming through me to teach about it is really specifically for women. Okay. And and men will go like, ooh, I recognize that part right there, or... Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's yeah. interesting because, um, and I've come to this reference several times through dif- different texts, but the masculine and the feminine are contained each other. So it, it's interesting that, you know, there are men that that do identify the aspects of it for themselves, but that it's predominantly a feminine sort of or um, sort of women focused emergence. Yeah. You know, 
I hesitate to say yes, and I say yes because um, there's, uh, you know, we have this really, this very human way of, uh, of this both con- conditioning, but also our interpretation of our own gender. And we see our own gender through the eyes of our own experience as that gender. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so... You know, I could be, I'll tell you the truth, I understand the method, the, the process and how to facilitate people through this transformational journey, and I could be blowing smoke when I say it's all about women. <laughs> <laughs> um, because genders live in both of us, and the emergent right. process really is about in individuating and collectivizing, if that makes, if that's, I'll make up a new word. I love uh, it. That inner marriage of the masculine and feminine and living an outer life as both together. Perfect. Perfect. And so is it just for women? No. But do women really resonate with this, and are more women coming awake to it? Yes. That's probably a much more honest way to say it. That's perfect. And um, I know I mentioned to you that a few weeks, actually maybe it was a, a month and a half ago about, I had this really interesting and amazing conversation with Eric Baumgartner, who has this quest to redefine what it means to be a man in in sort of our our current context. And he talks a lot about the divine masculine and what that means in the context of the emergence of the divine feminine. So I'd love to hear your take on what that masculine energy is and what that feminine energy is as you see it and how you see it expressed in women. Mm. I think that um I think that both have been with us always the divine masculine and the divine feminine they're they're the natures of life the, those energies and that we've been asleep to them predominantly as mankind humankind and I I think that there've been um pockets of people in the world for the last several hundred years, maybe several thousand years, who've had an awareness of the divine masculine or the divine feminine. But they've if they've been on one side of that camp or the other, they've really just been in that one camp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Marion Woodman, for instance, who is a fellow Canadian, um, is a renowned and exquisite um, uh, expander on the work of Carl Jung, and has been in, she's in her 80s now, and probably towards the end of her time of teaching and writing. Um, but but she has been a voice for the last 30 years about the importance of the essential, the uh, essentialness <laughs> that we as humans wake up to honoring the divine feminine and bringing her into full-on consciousness. Mm. And I love and honor and and respect so much the work she's done. And I also think that when we stand just on one side, we negate the other one. And I don't think she's doing that, but I think she's so firmly in the feminine, divine feminine, and really wanting to, you know, awaken us to the riches of Sophia, for instance. Mm -hmm. And and, and, and I want to say something in a moment. Uh, Remind me if I don't say it, but I want to talk about, like, the mis- Conceptions of what what people think of as feminine. Yes, please. Um, but I think that really what we're awakening 
to uh, in what we're what I'm seeing is that people all around the planet are awakening to their to consciousness, to spirit, to an awareness that we all are one, or that we are the creators of our our own experience. Like all you know, there's so many interpretations of the mm-hmm. ways one might describe their awakening, and the most exquisite integrated experiences of that as I see it are the ones that are saying I'm awakening to the to the divine feminine and to the divine masculine. Yes. And how together that's creative force. That's how Beautiful. we change our lives. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> and I'm I'm so awake to that as well, that that you know, we go back into our mind and we go back into sort of seeing just the one side of it, the this or that. <laughs> you know, it's either masculine or it's feminine. Um mm-hmm. but the the movement and, and again I I I keep referencing the sort of the yin and yang symbol that you have to look at the whole mm-hmm. circle, not just the white, not just the black. And it's the same for our own inner energies. Absolutely. So was that the misconception that you were no, here's about? what I want to say about the mis the, the misconception. I think that when people hear feminine they have their mostly childlike ideas about what feminine means mm. and also childlike ideas about what masculine means. And I don't mean childlike in, in, this, in a condescending way. I mean we are in our young development um, that we interpret feminine as either being um, flowy and goddessy. Like I refuse to use the word goddess. I refuse to use the word goddess until about... <laughs> Maybe a year and a half ago, <laughs> I mean, which is hilarious on one level. But I so didn't want to be misunderstood or misinterpreted as being this kind of, you know, flowy airy, mother. Airy, yes. Yeah, without any boundaries and all right. in the creative forces. And I'm making fun a little bit the way I'm saying it. All those things are exquisite and they are part of the feminine. But really... The feminine nature, feminine uh, mm, energies are, yes, creative. Yes, um, in the chaotic realms. Yes, in the, okay, in the wild abandon. Yes, in the, in the deep mothering, like we you know, want to put onto what the earth is, you know, like the deep mother. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, can be controlling. Yes, can snuff the life out of you by <laughs> over-supporting and protecting you. Like it's mm-hmm. so much more than, you know, flowing goddesses, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> talking mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, vulva, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's um, that um, Hindu goddess. I, I don't remember which one she is, but she's a, the, a force of creation and destruction. So she's yeah. not just, you know, <laughs> creative and Yeah, she's also absolutely. I, I, I like to I, talk about, I, I know I love talking about the Hindu goddesses because they bring in both the masculine and feminine in such a fierce way. All the all the Hindu um, gods and goddesses do. And, um, and they're usually partnered, you know, they're partnered with an animal and they're partnered right. with symbols and they're partnered with a, um, a beloved of the other gender and um and we are all that mm. we are all that richness you know i'm i'm noticing that some of the context of the the ways that we're talking cadets um like i just dove in with you cuz i felt such a, a 
I mean, we've never spoken before, I want to say that. Right. <laughs> and um, our conversations have mostly been online just to coordinate being here together today. And yeah. I'm assuming that your listeners are deep in their work and deep in their spiritual exploration and embodiment because that's where we started this conversation. It is, and, and um, that's where most of the conversations for this show um take off from so great that's a general <laughs> tone good just wanted to make sure we knew we were all talking to the same people <laughs> yeah, keep going. great you know on that note i do i i'll offer a really powerful uh resource let me see if i've got it here on my bookshelf there's a book written by a Jungian analyst in uh berkeley who I don't know, he probably doesn't know I ever refer him and his book, but he wrote a book called Feminine and Masculine. And he looked at, from his body of work and working with dreams and the symbolic referencing to the feminine and masculine forces, um, and looked at really two, he, he split the two genders into four quadrants total, and then looks at, perhaps what we might think of as the high side and the shadow side. I, I don't remember his terminology, but the the high side, um, you know, the things we would say are so great about that quality of masculine or so great about that quality of feminine. Um, and then the shadow side that culturally we would go, ooh, that's a bad part. Right. <laughs> um, and he looks at that in wholeness. So if any of you who are listening to us talk about this feel drawn to to maybe explore more about the, um, interrelatedness of these uh, quadrants. Um, I think that book is spectacular, and I'm looking here on my bookshelf to see if the if his name will pop out at me, and I'm not seeing it. <laughs> um, but I know the book is called um, Feminine and Masculine, and it's written by a, a Jungian analyst out of Berkeley. So if somebody, I think that's all I heard when I first found the book. Um, okay. And if it's jumps off the page at me, I will tell you it later. Um, but I think some of your listeners might find it. it it's, you know, it's not a, a fluffy read. <laughs> <laughs> no, that sounds interesting. Um, I can I can Google it up to see if, if it comes up. And the first one that popped up is Masculine and Feminine, The Natural Flow of Opposites in the Psyche by Gareth S. Hill. That's it. That's, That's it. it. There we okay. go. Thank you. <laughs> oh, the the wonders of Google. Isn't that great? Like you can Google faster than you can find it on your bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you've just gone over the the misconceptions of of the feminine. Can you present some of the ones that we may have about the masculine? Just to yeah, I think that we have that. Um, I was actually speaking yesterday at a, a live event for women entrepreneurs and. One of the women in the room stood up, and um, I, I was there as a guest speaker, and she stood up and, and said to the woman whose event it was, you know, I'd realize, I'm going to say it the way she said it and then tell you how it's a misconception. She says, I realize that I've been, you know, making my left brain wrong, <laughs> and I've been wanting in my spiritual practice and in my business practice to, you know, be in the creativity and the flow and the this and the that and, you know, eschewing and making, you know, wrong all the capacity of creating structure. Now, creating structure is both feminine and masculine, but creating grid-like structure and maps, masculine. Okay. Um, uh, and we we tend to, when we start to learn about 
these things. I think we do demonize one side or the other or um, overemphasize the development of one side. And we've been very overdeveloped in the side of the masculine. Um, but the masculine is not just the brain. <laughs> and the masculine is not just the ability to, you know, to drive force like the sperm, you know, um, right. and uh, to rule like a king. Um, the masculine can um, can can take. Hmm. <sighs> I, so I think that the the misconceptions I would say that I notice are most common about women who are in this emergent process and and journey transformation. They'll start to demonize the drive. Or they'll demonize the um, the structure, or they'll demonize the um, the ego, and say that those things are masculine, and that they've lost themselves in that, and that they want to you know throw that away so they can find themselves, or they don't want to throw that away because they're so identified. But that's not the masculine. Like the drive, <laughs> it, it the drive itself is not the masculine. But what you do with that impulse is, you know, if it takes you like as if you hopped on a horse and now you're driving off to conquer the, you know, the night across the county, you know. Right, right. Um, <laughs> now that is the masculine force. Mm. And um, we need both, you know, to live like well-integrated spiritual lives, to live lives that can contribute to the well-being of others. Um, whether that's your family or your community or, you know, there's a lot of talk today about serving the world or saving mm-hmm. the world. Um, we need both. You know, like, men, so the other thing I want to say is that there's a misconception that, that to collaborate is a feminine nature, is a feminine quality. It's not not a masculine quality. Right. <laughs> to collaborate is a human quality. Yes. <laughs> So I think that in our separation of wanting to identify, oh, this is feminine, this is masculine, um, we keep feeding the separation in ourselves instead yeah. of the marriage. Hmm. So perfectly put, so perfectly on point. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you did mention the five stages of transformation um, and, and that you, you were going to go through them. Before we do that, can you maybe first give what... I guess the emergent woman looks like, and then we'll go through the five stages that you know she may go through, or the individual may yeah, go through there. Yeah, the emergent woman um, has mobility in her inner life to tap into um, deep wisdom, deep understanding. Um, has freedom in herself to tap into sometimes the things that seem most shadowy and dark and not to make them her victim, make herself a victim of those things. Mm. And in like, so I'm going to say that she, she has the mobility to go left and right and up and down. <laughs> and so that's the down part. The up is she has capacity to heighten. Right? So a lot of people will say that a spiritual life is only about the heightening but it's also about the deepening. Yep. And so being able to see both dark and light with equal appreciation, with equal access, with with the dance between the two. And when I say left and right, I'm, I'm, you know, giving that that kind of play to the idea that the left side of our bodies perhaps might be um, 
uh, akin to the more feminine nature of ourselves and that the right side is often seen as um, symbolically being more the masculine. Mm-hmm. And so being able to blend those two capacities simultaneously um, to make those fierce love decisions that require both masculine and feminine nature, um, to honor that sometimes being in a driven place is the thing that will bring you full on into the next um, evolution of yourself or or service to another or um, or take you into overcoming something that has been in a roadblock. I have met so many people, certainly in the last two years when I got more um, willing to talk about the meaning of money and wealth in our lives, but, but really over the last 15 to 20 years that that I've been working with people, money has been this thing that people have seen at, like, that that we act like. I'm just going to say we as people who have these issues. (laughs) That we act like we're at the mercy of money. You know, it's somehow got it out against us, or we're not worthy of it, or it's a tool that, you know, can be misused, and too many people have, you know, all of it, and too many people don't have any of it, and like all those things about money, but having this marriage from left to right of masculine and feminine, of receptivity and activity, um, is where the emergent woman or man can, um, can be engaged in both. If we're not receptive, we can't have money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you actually it's have to picture... You have to cup your hand and allow it to be placed there in order to be, you know. (laughs) So the the emergent uh, human is both feminine and masculine, heightened and deepened, um, uh, honors the past and stands in the present looking toward the future, but is, but, but, and honors all of that. Mm. I, I think another word for emergent would be whole. Yes, that that was exactly the vision you're painting. Yeah. So then, I what are the phrase? I don't know how you spell it, but I, I love the phrase "holy, holy." You know, holy with the W. Yeah. <laughs> Whole, and then holy, sacred. Holy, mm-hmm. holy. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect for a Sunday conversation. It so is. <laughs> <laughs> sacred Sunday. Perfect. Um. So then, what are the the five stages of of the transformation or the emergence? Um, the five stages. The first one is um, an early stage of personal development, and it's the one where we will identify so fully with our doingness in the world. Like where um, usually the person who's called into the emergent path is one who has identified with their drive. They identify with their ability to create success or to attempt success and fall short, but it's still about the drive. And um, for for me, it was, I was, you know, I started my first business endeavor when I was eight, you know. <laughs> um, so for some people, it's, it's by what they do in the way of business. And some people, it's um, what they do in the striving to be the best at something. And I'm not going to make this wrong, because sometimes striving to be the best at something is the greatest gift it gives to the world. Like, you know, our we've had how many people, uh, you know, who were professional athletes or, or amateur athletes, like in the Olympics, who have done things 
that have become this inspiration of breakthrough. Mm -hmm. And that level of drive and attention to, I am going to do this, I am committed to this, and I am identified with it, really can serve. The problem with it in the the shadow side or the the challenging side of of step one um, or stage one is that we identify with it and we um, get stuck there. So for me, I was, um, I kept coming up against what was pushing in me into stage two. And and the hard part is that our ego is so identified that it can take years to push through into stage two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what usually happens that calls you into stage two is that there's a call deep from within your soul. In the poem that I mentioned, which and I'll say the name of the poem, it's the... Um, the Queen, uh, Queen Anana, Queen of Heaven and Earth. And um, her name is Anana, I-N-A-N-N-A. And um, in, uh, in Queen Anana's role, she, in the poem, she puts her ear to the earth. And the symbol of that, if you could imagine that the inner workings of the ear is shaped very much like the nautilus shell. And you know how when you hold the Nautilus shell up to your ear, you can hear the sound of, you imagine you hear the sound of the ocean? Right. So your ear is that same symbol. And so when she puts her ear to the earth, it's like she's wanting to hear into the deep mysteries. Hmm. But her ego has her say, and I will do this without giving up anything. Because I am a queen of my land, and I'm in control, and I have, you know, people who work for me, and I have riches, and I have... I'm adorned with gold and jewels, and um, there, is, there might be arrogance in step one, and it may just be, it doesn't even matter if you're arrogant, you, you just are so identified with your efforting, your achievement. Yeah, um, or you're your in journey. the I am the doer. Yeah. The end. <laughs> exactly, the end. <laughs> and it's that putting your ear to the earth, which could be that you start to notice that um, you're inspired by something that, that kind of breaks the mold or you have a moment of, you know, experiencing pure love where, you like, it almost rocks you to the core. Or, um, you know, or you just start noticing that you're wanting to fix some things in your doer mind and um, that leads you into doing personal development or spiritual journeying and in that process you're listening to the deep wisdom but the descent which is the what most people refer to this myth uh, this, this ancient poem they use it as a story about the feminine descent is what it's called and the descent is stage two but what happens when we start to go into the descent is we do not really want to give up what's get what's being called for to give up mm-hmm. so for me i had a car accident i had um my 35th birthday, I um, right before my 35th birthday, I went and I spoke at my first international conference. Hot stuff, excited. It wasn't my best speech ever, <laughs> even at the time. It didn't matter. I was so elevated in myself, and I was so empowered by it. And I came home, and the week after my 35th birthday, I went on a um, planning retreat, and I came back from that with... Uh, 
a five-year plan, I think it was, maybe it was three, for my business and how I was going to roll out these new products and services and how I was going to really elevate things. And six days after I got back, or four days after I got back from that retreat, I am driving to a meeting um, just around dawn, and I was approaching a green light at an intersection in San Francisco on the Embarcadero, and a car pulls out from her red light and stops in my lane. Hmm. And I had no chance but to hit her. I couldn't veer left because there was a meridian to protect pedestrians. I couldn't go right because there were cars traveling with me towards the screen light. And so I brakes on, you know, my feet on the brake, trying to stop as hard as I could. I slam into this woman's car. And that's sometimes what it feels like when the descent really hits. It feels like you have slammed up against something, Hmm. and now nothing works. And that's when it started for me. (laughs) Nothing worked. Clients had been lined up waiting to work with me when I had openings in my schedule. I was a business and marketing consultant at the time. And um, as I finished projects with clients, um, uh, there were some projects I had to delay to start on because I just didn't have the stamina. I could not keep my, I just wasn't healing well, and uh, my attention was distracted. Um, It just was not working. Mm -hmm. And within a couple of months, people who, like, I had had this full practice with people lined up waiting to work with me, and then I had nobody. I still had all the same skill, all the same capacity, all the same history, all the same connection. That's so interesting. Nothing worked. Mm -hmm. And that's often what it feels like, is it feels like life is shredding around you. And it could be that your relationships are are dissolving or not working or they're breaking into um, uh, arguments easily or you're just feeling dissatisfaction or not heard or seen um, or you're losing contracts or you're getting fired from a job or you're... You're losing money. I had a client I worked with a couple of years ago, and she finally came to work with me. She was so full on in this stage, too. She had lost two properties to foreclosure. Her business was failing um, no matter how hard she worked to keep her doors open. And um, and she came home. for. She would gained about 40 pounds in about eight months, and she came home from uh, her store one day, to find her 11-year relationship standing there saying, I'm done, I can't do this anymore, and walked out. That's when she finally called me. She was like, I know I have needed to work with you for six months, but I'm just thinking I can wait. <laughs> I can't wait. Like, what else could fall apart? Um, and that's often what the stage two feels like. And what's so hard about going into stage three is that if you cling in stage two, onto your identity in stage one because you're wanting to use your coping skills. You're wanting to, you know, it's natural to try and do the thing you think works. And everything you did in stage one is what you think works. Right. It doesn't work to progress you. And it perpetuates the pain. So stage three can be the hardest in any spiritual path, and it certainly can be here, too, is surrender. 
And in the path of, uh, as it's reflected in the ancient poem of Anana, Anana is going into the underworld, you know, with all her arrogance about, I'm going to go learn the mysteries. And, but I'm going to go there saying, into the underworld, saying that I'm just going to go be of service to my sister who lives down there. Now, the, the story is so perfect for this, because in, when you go into the underworld in mythology, there's no coming back out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's a one-way trip. <laughs> but she thinks, I'm coming back out. There's just no question. She's got a system set up to support her in coming back out. Like, she's really convinced that she's going to be able to do this. And eventually she does, but she can't come out the way she went in. And that's really the, the important piece about surrender. So the way Anana shows us surrender is that her sister, who is really um, uh, not on the up and up when she lets her come in in the first place, her sister um, sends her gatekeeper to greet her Anana and to require that each of the, at each of the seven gates into the underworld that Anana give up something of her of what she's wearing. So what she's wearing are the symbolic representations of her outer identity, of her stage one. And the, the you know, so if you could imagine one of the items that she gives up is her gold breastplate. And a breastplate would probably have been um, a metal formation that went from, if you if you imagined that you had something that covered you from your, collarbone from your breast down past your um, rib cage and perhaps down to your pelvis. Mm -hmm. So a breastplate, she's required at one of the gates, I think it's the fourth one, to give up her breastplate. And if you could imagine reaching on and unsecuring your own protection that moves from your collarbone to your pelvis and willingly hand it over. And she does this at every gate with her crown, with the jewels on her wrists, with the jewels on her neck, with her uh, robe, until she arrives in the underworld naked. And that level of surrender is what we're called into in this journey. And really with any spiritual path, there's such a call to giving up what we identify ourselves to be. Who you think you are, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's so essential here. And it's different for, the, you know, because we're each unique soul, our experience of the, of the surrender is unique to each of us. Yeah. You know, and that's what, you know, like we'll hear these stories and we're like, well, I don't have that to give up. Why would, you know, <laughs> how can I give that up? I don't have yeah. that to give up. You know, like with the client who, you know, two years ago who, you know, lost two properties to foreclosure and then, finally disclosed the door on her business and lost the relationship. And people would say to me, well, I don't have any property to have foreclosed on. Like, what do I have to give up? Well, <laughs> that happened to be her story, right? Her, her yeah. attachment. <laughs> That's it. And uh, it's unique to each of us. It It seems to me like whatever we're called to give up is symbolic of whatever we're using for our version of security, our version of self-protection, our version of self-preservation. It's taking us out of our ego-based definition of what it means to be secure and safe and protected and all that stuff. 
Yeah, or to have a place in cult in our society. Or you know, I was talking to a beautiful friend and colleague yesterday um, that I was surprised to see at this event. What a treat it was! And um, she said to me, uh, she just started doing some speaking. It's new to her, and um, she just uh, co-led an event, and she was telling me about the experience. And and she said, you know, like whenever you step out there with some new development, whatever. Um, hasn't developed in you yet shows you where your shortcomings are, but it also shows you what you're still identified with that won't allow this next stage. Mm-hmm. And she says, I just, I realized that I care about what people think, like I like being the popular girl. Mm-hmm. And she said, I, if you had told me I liked being the popular girl, be like, no, really, not so much. You know, that, that's not, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I came face to face with, I like being the popular girl. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. What what happens when you give that up? Hmm. And so what's so important in stage three in this process of surrender is that we also give ourselves the permission to grieve. You know, to grieve, not... No, yes, the loss of whatever that was, but the the act of grieving is so I think so essential. You know, there's a lot of people who talk about you know be in the the high side of your emotions. Like you always want to be in joy. Mm. Well, no, you want to be real with what is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're askew, if you're going, I, but I'm not going to grieve because I'm supposed to feel joy, so I'm not going to grieve. <laughs> well, you got this grief that really needs to be cried into the river. And it's the crying that into the river and letting the energy of whatever has been lost or given up or surrendered. That's where the freedom comes. That's where you liberate yourself and others. But really, you know, like we can't liberate others until we know how to liberate ourselves. Absolutely. So stage four is you hang out in the nothingness. But I also think of hanging out there is in the you-ness. And, mm-hmm. um, because in that place, you're discovering who who is here. What do I truly love? How do I know my body? How do I know my intuition? How do I, um, how do I actually find the experience of trust? What is faith in my, in my knowingness? Not in what people taught me to be it, to to know as faith, but what do, what is my knowingness? And so you know, uh, it's being in the nothingness. I guess we have three nesses here. There's being in the nothingness, like so that it's so open that you can discover what is my knowingness, what is my true knowing, and what is my unit. Who am I? It's, you can hang out here for a while, but the chances are really good that if you're listening to, to Be Love Radio, <laughs> the chances are good that you've been doing some of these stages simultaneously. So it's not like in a masculine model we might look at um, the hero's journey that Joseph Campbell talked about, and you went from stage one to stage two to stage three to stage four. And when you got to stage four, you're not in two anymore. And you couldn't have got to four without being in two. But with this, we're in a more organic process. And the organic process says that as a whole human being, 
you may have learned a lot about surrender in stage one. And that guides you and supports you and makes it more possible to do it when you get here in the journey. Mm -hmm. And you may have been in the exploration of what is it to sit in openness because you may have been meditating for 10 years. Right? So there's been, like, so these, when you're really in the stage, you're really in it, but the chances are good, given you're listening to this radio show, (laughs) the chances are good that you know something about this stage as well already that you you can borrow on Mm -hmm. and use that um, as as an entryway. Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely, that you've cultivated. Yeah. Sometimes people will say to me, like, oh, my God, all that, like one of my clients last year who... Surprisingly, like we were working on a completely different project. She came to me for something completely different. (laughs) And we were probably in our second or third session, and she started to tell me some things that were going on in her life. And I I was sitting there going, oh, yeah, she's in a descent. And at the point in time, I thought, you know, it was just in my stage, I was really being called to come more fully forward with the voice of of this, this journey. And so everybody who was coming to me was full on in a descent. And so I told her about the journey, and what we did was support her in creating a ritual that helped her walk herself through her personal descent through the gates. She used the the, the poem from uh, the Queen of Heaven and Earth and and created her own personal journey. And then she spent time in the the in that that open grieving and and ego letting go that opens through the surrender and in that made room for the nothingness and for years she's been teaching personal um uh, work that would facilitate people in developing their own rituals right so she had been developing this capacity in herself to be able to do this for herself at this time, and I, we just both, we were just marveling at the beauty of, like, it's all just so exquisite. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And then the fifth stage is the one that we started off talking about, which is emergence. So Anana actually negotiates through, after having been hung as a rotting hunk of meat uh, on a hook on the wall in the underworld, like really into nothingness. Mm-hmm. Um eventually essentially negotiates her release from the underworld, but she doesn't go back out through the gates. Because I told you, you know, like we can't go back out the way we got in. She emerges from the underworld so and has access to both, equal access to both, the, the way it's told in the poem. And this, this poem and in other mythologies, it's often said as half the year. So that's a way of saying Holy both, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think that we are living in a time when we are um, stepping into to ages of uh, into enactments of courage, you know, of living from the heart. Like, that's what the you know the word courage comes from. The heart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, living from the heart, and the heart holds wholeness. Heart is the fourth chakra. Four is the number for whole, you know, for mm-hmm. for you know, whole balance. 
Like, it's all of that. And that's what the path of emergence leads us to. Beautiful. Beautiful. And, you know, the the question I want to follow follow that up with is, is this a process that you go through again and again and again? Or is it a, you know, you go through it once and you're finished? (laughs) You're done. Here's what I've discovered is you have a humdinger of one. (laughs) And and if it's your pattern to use this journey, you know, for this journey to be your evolution, then yes, you do it over and over again. But you usually have one that's like a, almost like a wacky upside the head. Like for me, it was the one that when I was 35. Now, mm-hmm. here's what I'm finding and I'm so mm, curious and encouraged about is when I hit the, when I had that car accident, when I rammed into that woman's car in 1995, I had a long, slow, just like, descent that I mean long and slow partly I was really stubborn (laughs) (laughs) and and I'd been doing my personal development and spiritual work for years but I was still really stubborn and I had no guidance I didn't have any awareness of what this journey was Mm -hmm. and I it took me probably two years to lose everything I lost my business. When I, the man that I'd been in a relationship with for a couple of years actually wrote me a letter and put it in the mail. He lived 11 miles from me. Wow. <laughs> he wrote me a letter in the mail and to, to tell me he wasn't going to see me anymore, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which I laugh at it now, but I remember being infuriated. And, um, and I lost my uh, home, and I filed bankruptcy, and I tried to start new businesses, and I tried to get investors. Like, I just was so stuck. It took me about two full years to lose everything. It took me about three full years of... No, actually, I I later, two years after that, I went into a four-year personal monastic life. And it was the coming out of my monastic life that I felt like I had fully integrated. It took me, what's that all together? I think seven years I just had. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting that you say now four years. that are having, pardon? It's interesting to me that you said it was four years, hmm. that it took four years of integration. You just talked about yeah. you know, four being that. Anyway, yeah. go on. <laughs> it was powerful four years, too, I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. What I'm seeing now, because that took me seven years altogether from car accident to um uh to a, what I would really say is like oh I was really in a new state of being mm-hmm. and um I am seeing women that I've been working with for the last 2 to 5 years that are coming through into an enactment of emergence in days weeks months so it's unique not years. it's it's a unique yeah it's unique, and I think we have the the gift of collective consciousness. Mm-hmm. More people have gone. More people are being called into this path, and and more have lived in it already. And even in the last, that's only been for me 16 years ago from the car accident to today, and 
in that 16 years, I've met women who have lived this journey, that I've given enough experience and languaging to it. I've facilitated women through it. But even women I facilitated through five, six, seven, eight years ago didn't move through it nearly as quickly as the women that I meet today. Because mm-hmm. I think there's something about the energetic um, support of moving through the transformation that is aided by our collective consciousness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that makes so much sense to me. Yeah. Absolutely. We, yeah, I, and I'm encouraged. <laughs> You know, I can say to a woman, there's there's life on the other side of this. Yeah. And it might not be as far away as you think. Hmm. Perfect. Perfect. So I know we're coming toward the end of our show. We only have about five minutes left. Um, so I'd love to invite you to just say, you know, a short thing about how listeners can recognize where they are in their own journey and, and how they can support themselves and how can they connect with you if if they're, um, you know, resonating with what you're offering. Yeah, I think that if you have heard, uh, you know, the story of the journey, both as my story or Anana's or, the, or, you know, some of the clients that I've told you about, you'll know where you are in the process. Like when, when people feel themselves like in it, they're like, oh, my God, I'm in stage two. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's almost like a bell rings and you go like, that's me. Mm-hmm. Um and um, uh, so I, what I would offer to say to you is that if you find that you're in one of the stages, even if it's in stage five, the, the path from here is to honor what has been, but it is not to turn back. You, can't, you won't move into any new evolutionary stage trying to go back the way you came. And I think that there's freedom in knowing that. Mm. I've had people go like, oh, my God, you just saved my life, like just here in essence, like that. So it might seem obvious unless you're living in it. It can feel like, oh, my God, right, I've been trying to go back. Um, it's be here, honor what has been, and and love the intention that would have you have this um, powerful journey because there's, some gift you're meant to bring to humanity and to life uh, because this is our most pure and natural state of of integration of holy wholeness Hmm. and how to reach me you know the best way to reach me probably is you can go take a peek at my website it's uh, my name it's spelled Tambra Hark T-A-M-B-R-A H-A-R-C-K Dot com, And you'll find some resources there, access to a radio show. I have a book um, that has some really powerful and, and both easy and, and deep um, practices that you can engage with if you'd like to get a copy of the book. Um, or if you're feeling like, wow, this is something like, oh, this is curious. <laughs> Where am I in this? Um, send me an email and I'll see what other resources I can share with you or we'll see if perhaps uh, where you on on your journey might might be aligned with working with me directly. Perfect. Perfect. And before we wrap up, I would love to know what your, I guess, bigger vision is is with the emergent women. My bigger vision 
you know, I'm aware that there are so many people on the planet saying, um, you know, we have to save the world, or I'm awakening to my purpose, and, you know, I'm supposed to serve the world. And what I said earlier was something about, you know, we, we can't liberate anyone else until we liberate ourselves. That I think that this, what I see for the future and what my vision is, is that we continue individually to, to engage in our spiritual practices. But we, in doing it, that we bring our spiritual life fully into the way we live our everyday life in the way we make our meals, and the way we decorate our homes, and the way we choose to earn money or spend money or travel or raise our children or talk to people that we have difficult times with or, you know, like all of it. Like bring the beauty and wholeness and richness into everything that you're doing. Hmm. And... That changes the world. That serves the world. Hmm, and some beautiful. of us are called to really do it in the like do it in the world, right? But right. not all of us. Very few of us. All of us are called to do it in our lives, and that changes everything. Hmm. And that is the world. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Tambra, mm-hmm. it's been an amazing hour. Thank you so much for all that you brought into this conversation. It, it's been <laughs> so full and so expansive and so interesting and entertaining at the same time. So thank you for bringing all of that into this space. I really, really am grateful for what you're doing mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. It's such a delight. I, lo- I do want to give a shout-out to our mutual beloved um, Aaron Ross and say thank you for um, putting the, the bug out there that put the two mm-hmm. of us together. And, uh, uh, you're a lovely spirit. I love that. Uh, I love the name of your show. <laughs> and I love that you're bringing um, the conversation to the depth of um, the depth and uh, integration of, of what it means to be in love. Mm. Thank you so much. And that is um, our show for today, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Next week, uh, Justice Bartlett, the amazing Justice Bartlett, will be on to talk about returning your focus back to appreciation. Um, For those listening in for the first time, Justice is the practitioner and teacher of Matrix Energetics, which is a powerful model of transformation. Um, So tune in next Sunday at 11 a.m. We'll be talking about the power of appreciation with justice. That's our show for today, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Again, my heartfelt thanks to Tamara for bringing such an amazing sharing to our Sunday morning. Take care and be love. You've got your love. I've got mine.